This is the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast, episode number 14. Home improvements, home renovations, home maintenance, home repairs, and all the other challenges of home ownership. Welcome to the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. And I am back. Hey folks, I'm Doug. This is the Thumb and Hammer Podcast, and I am back after a very long break. It has been well over a year since the last episode of this podcast, and a lot has happened in that year, and that's what I'm going to be talking about in this episode. If you listen to episode 13, you will know that we sold our money pit, the house that we lived in for almost 13 years. That house was a money pit because of the previous owner. This house, the one that we moved into, well, it's also a bit of a money pit, but this time it's my own fault. Now, don't get me wrong, this house has nowhere near the issues the previous house had. The bones are good. We could have just moved in and done nothing, and that's probably what we should have done. But no, I couldn't just leave well enough alone. And some other stuff happened that wasn't really my fault. But basically, for the last year, we have been doing the DIY shuffle. What is the DIY shuffle, you might ask? Well, the DIY shuffle happens when you move stuff from one part of the house to another so you can work on some sort of home improvement. First you move the stuff out, then you move the stuff back. Sometimes you end up moving the same thing multiple times as you move from from one project to another until you finally find a permanent home for it. The DIY shuffle also happens when you shuffle from one project to another without finishing the first one. And we have been doing both versions of this dance for the last year. So let's start from the beginning. The afternoon that the real estate agent first showed us this house. Now remember, she was trying to help us get out of a house that needed a lot of work. We were looking for something that was move-in ready. So we walk in through the front door. Now the kitchen is small, But we figured we could adapt. I mean, we were looking in a specific area, and all the houses in that area had small kitchens. So that was something we are going to have to adapt to anyway. The living room and dining room were obviously updated. Someone had already done some work on this house, and it was just cosmetic work. They didn't take out supporting walls or put in oversized windows or anything like that. We go upstairs and check out the master bedroom. The first thing I notice is the closet. The closet is six and a half feet wide by about two feet deep, and it has a pair of bifold doors on it. Now, the problem is the doorway is only four feet wide. So essentially what you had was two feet of closet space tucked behind a wall because the the closet doors were offset to one side. So you had two feet of closet space. It was going to be very difficult to access. And I, um, I pointed that out. I said, that's unfortunate. But, um, you know, it's a little bit of reframing. I can reframe that opening and make it bigger, put in wider doors. Now, as soon as I said that, the agent was horrified. My wife was horrified. And um, I, I, they were staring me down. And I said, well, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty basic. It's just basic construction. It's just some two-by-fours and some drywall. Okay, it, it became quickly apparent that this was not the best time to start discussing 
renovations for the house we just walked into, so I shut up. My wife then points out the wallpaper border around the room. She just kind of pointed and looked at me, and uh, I, I knew what that meant because we both detest wallpaper borders. Now, if you like wallpaper borders, that's fine. That's your taste. It's not our taste. We got rid of wallpaper borders in the other house that we lived in, so I knew that was something that I was going to have to do in this house. Not a big deal. I then point out the popcorn ceiling. <laughs> That's unfortunate, I said. Um, but, you know, we might be able to scrape that off. See it all the time on these home improvement shows where they scrape the popcorn ceiling. Not a big deal. Again, I am met with the horrified stares of both the agent and my wife. So I shrug. I kind of look down at my feet and say, oh, you know, I, I guess I can live with it. So we continue on, and we eventually decide that this imperfect house is perfect for us, and we end up buying it. Fast forward to moving week. We were smart. We took out a bridge loan, so what that meant was we actually owned both houses for a period of one week. And boy, did we have big plans for that week. Not only were we going to move a lot of our stuff over, but we were also going to paint the three bedrooms and the family room. And I was confident that I could also reframe the master closet at the same time. I had convinced both my wife and myself that it was all doable. We both took the week off work, so it's not like we were being completely unrealistic. So this is the plan that I had in my head. Okay, follow along. One day to prep. One day to paint the first coat in the morning and second coat in the afternoon for one bedroom. Another day for the first coat in the morning and second coat in the afternoon for the other bedroom. And two days to paint the two coats in the family room. Totally doable within a week. Now, you notice I left out the master bedroom because that was going to be a little more work because I was also going to be reframing the closet. Day one for the master bedroom would be the demolition, reframing the opening, hanging the drywall, and then doing the first coat, of, you know, doing the tape and the first coat of mud. Day two would be the second coat of mud, and day three would be the third coat. Day four, do a coat of primer in the morning and a second coat of primer in the afternoon. And then day five, paint in the morning and the second coat in the afternoon so all the painting is done and then day six is just hanging the closet doors and installing the trim the plan was to do this construction project at the same time as the painting because obviously it doesn't take all day to do a coat of mud you know do a coat of mud then move while that's drying moving on to do some painting in another part of the house plus we could work around the clock since we both had the time off work so yeah, it, it, I thought it was doable. That was the plan. Was it ambitious? Yes. Was it realistic? Well, you know, on paper, on paper it was realistic. But uh, when it comes down to whether or not we were successful, <laughs> uh, what do you think? The day that we got the keys to the house, I started the demolition of the closet. Okay, let me repeat that. The same day that we got the keys 
to the house, the very first day of ownership of this house, I am punching a hole in the drywall in the master bedroom. Now, that was a long day. I was pretty tired. I didn't get very far, so I'm already behind schedule. And the demolition ended up taking a little longer than I expected because, well, you know, I'm not exactly the fastest worker. Meanwhile, I also set about removing the wallpaper border. Now, I have always found that to be a relatively easy task. I usually have no trouble at all removing the print layer of the wallpaper, which leaves behind the brown, papery, glue layer. Then it's just a matter of wetting down the brown paper so the glue will release, and then taking a plastic scraper and peeling the wallpaper off the wall. This border was no different. It came down fairly easily. Except for one thing. You see, I was using a wet sponge to saturate the glue layer of the paper. And I would occasionally brush my sponge against the ceiling. And after a while, I realized that I was inadvertently taking down some of the popcorn texture. Uh, yeah, what a mess. So I called my wife, who was at the other house, presumably packing boxes. Honey... You know that popcorn ceiling? Well, I kind of messed it up a little bit. <laughs> Silence. The good news is, I think it's going to be fairly easy to remove all that popcorn texture. I can scrape it all down, get a regular flat ceiling like a normal house. That's when she asked me, how bad is the ceiling underneath? Which was a valid point, because usually popcorn covers up a multitude of problems. So you never know what you're going to run into. And I could have been opening up a can of worms here. But I was pretty sure that this was the route to go. So I said, uh, you know, if we're ever going to get rid of the popcorn ceiling, now is the time to do it. Before we fill the room with furniture and move in and all that stuff. You know, it's flaking off anyway. All you have to do is touch it, some of it will come off, like we're going to be picking up pieces of popcorn the whole time we live here, unless we get rid of it now. Well, she said, you know what you're doing. Turns out, I was right. The popcorn came down without much trouble at all. I took a small spray bottle filled with water, sprayed down a small section at a time, waited a few minutes, then took a plastic scraper to remove the offending stuff. Took me maybe three or four hours to do the entire ceiling. Now, stupid me, I wasn't working on a ladder. I was doing all that work reaching overhead. I'm six foot two, so I can just, you know, I could reach the ceiling with the scraper. But it, after a few hours, it gets kind of hard on the shoulders. But anyway, the ceiling itself was in decent shape, except that the builder hadn't done any sanding at all. He obviously planned to do the texture from the very beginning. That meant that the tape seams and the screw holes all had to be sanded. So I had to do that sanding and do some mud and feather things out and make it look halfway decent. Now, here's the thing. I could have lived with that popcorn ceiling, even though I wasn't crazy about it. I'd probably give that ceiling maybe a 7 out of 10. But then I went ahead and I messed up the edge. That dropped it down to probably a 5. 
Now, the ceiling under the popcorn wasn't damaged, but because it hadn't been sanded, I'd probably rate it about a three and a half. So after many days of sanding and spackling and more sanding, not to mention all the priming and painting, all while working overhead against gravity, which is never any fun, the finished ceiling is probably a 7 out of 10. Which means I did all that work, and really, I didn't move the needle. So you'd think that would have been enough extra work for me. But no, I didn't just look up to find extra work. I also looked down. The floor in the bedroom wasn't anything special. It was just a dark laminate flooring. Again, it was something we could live with. Except that there was some damage in a high-visibility, high-traffic area. Something that we would always see. In hindsight, I guess we could have covered it up with an area rug. But... <laughs> <laughs> that would have been too easy. So I'm looking at the damaged plank. Okay, the damage was about the size of a quarter. The uh, surface layer had been chipped. And someone had taken a black magic marker to try to camouflage it the best they could. But it still kind of jumped out and said, Hello. So I called my wife, who was at home, presumably packing boxes. Hey, hon, I said. You know that laminate floor in the bedroom? Well, one of the planks is kind of damaged, and um, it's in a spot that we're always going to see. Silence. The good news is the uh, laminate floor is rather easy. I, I, I mean, it's not a difficult DIY project. I can probably do it. No special tools needed. We can take up this laminate floor and put down a brand new floor. Should take all of a couple days. And right now, since there's no furniture to move around, this is the time to do it. Well, she said, you know what you're doing. So between the closet, the ceiling, and the floor, the master bedroom was a construction zone on moving day. I should mention here that this house is a four-level backsplit. If you take a ranch house with a main floor and a full basement, and then take that house, split it in half, shifting half of it up half a story, you have our house. On the main floor, you have the kitchen, living room, and dining room. Upstairs are the three bedrooms and the bathroom. Downstairs, directly under the bedrooms, is the family room and a bonus room. And then down six more steps, directly under the living room and kitchen is the basement, which had a second family room, sitting area sort of thing, and the laundry room and the mechanical room. Our plan was that the master bedroom, obviously, was going to be for us. And our daughter was going to get the other two rooms, one for her bedroom and one for her study. The bonus room would become the guest room, and the other sitting room downstairs would be used for my home office. Well, <laughs> moving day, obviously, we can't move into the master bedroom because it's a construction zone. So we move the master bedroom furniture into the study, move our daughter into her bedroom, 
And then the computer stuff goes downstairs in the basement and the bonus room becomes an overflow storage area for the time being. Okay. That setup works for a while, but <laughs> a funny thing happened. About six weeks after moving in, I went downstairs to use the computer and I noticed a little brown something something on the carpet. <laughs> Upon closer inspection, I realized that, yeah, it was dog poop. And there were some dime-sized brown drops leading into the laundry room where there was not only a brown pile, but also a yellow puddle. At this point, I give our dog a lot of credit. He had done his best to get to the laundry room, which was the one room in the house where his bodily functions would do the least amount of damage. I figured that he had tried to wake someone up but wasn't able to, and this all happened as a last resort for him. So I cleaned up the mess, and life goes on. A week or two later, I come home from work. My wife calls up to me from the basement. She tells me to bring down some paper towels. Great. I think I know where this is headed. Uh, what are we dealing with here? Is this going to be a constant thing? The dog going downstairs. Not good. Not good. So I head downstairs. I have the paper towel. My wife is sitting at the desk facing the stairs as I come down. And she tells me to watch my step. I look around. At least there's no sign of poop this time. She directs me to the wet spot in the carpet. I wad up some paper towel and I start patting the carpet to draw out the liquid. And there is a lot of liquid. So I keep going. I mean, there's a lot of liquid. The poor guy really had to go. But after a few minutes, the carpet does not seem to be getting any drier. And I notice that there is no hint of yellow whatsoever on the used paper towel. Yeah, this ain't right. This is not dog pee. So I go over to the mechanical room, which is right next to this area that I'm working on. And sure enough, there are a couple puddles of water streaming across the floor. We just had a lot of rain, and obviously the water was coming in from outside of the house. At this point, the rain had stopped, so I figured the worst was over. But I was tired. I had just come home from work. I needed a nap. I put down some towels to kind of dam up the water to prevent further damage to the carpet. And I figured when I got up, all I'd have to do is take a shop vac and suck as much water as I could out of the carpet. And that would have been it. So I took my nap. But when I got up, <laughs> I asked my wife if she'd been downstairs. She hadn't. So she didn't know the state of affairs, but she did tell me that we had more rain. I go downstairs and sure enough, about a quarter to a third of the carpeted area was now wet and the mechanical room was under an inch of water. Well, for the next 16 hours, we ended up buying a bigger and more powerful shop vac. And for the next 16 hours, we sucked up hundreds of gallons of water, eight gallons at a time. I also had to move the stuff that was put down in that room already. I had to move the stuff out of that room to different areas of the house so it wouldn't get water damaged. Fortunately, a lot of our stuff was still in storage, so the actual damage was minimal. 
At some point during this nightmare, I realized that I did not hear the sump pump running. The sump pump is located in the pantry area under the front porch, which is next to the laundry room. I opened the door to the pantry, and I was met with a mini tsunami. The problem with the pantry is it's dark. There was a single light bulb, and it wasn't working very well. It was flickering. I'm not sure if it was electrical. I'm not sure if it was light bulb, but I sure as heck wasn't going to mess with it while standing in a puddle of water. So I had to work with what I had. And the sump pump indeed was not running. But to get to it, I had to crawl over a large table that someone had built, and it was in the way. Um, the table was the entire width of the pantry, measuring almost four feet wide by five feet long. And on the other side of the table was a, it, it was pitch black and underwater. And I knew that the pit didn't have a cover. So there was no way I was going to crawl over that table and step down at all because I didn't know how far down was going to be if I ended up stepping in the pit. Well, I eventually sucked up enough water, and with a very weak flashlight, I could finally see kind of what was going on, and I managed to get the pump working again. What had happened was the vertical float was rubbing against the wall of the pit. Either the pump had vibrated its way there, or more likely, I think, our home inspector had moved it into that position when he was doing his home inspection. At any rate, the float was very stiff, but like I said, I managed to get the pump working again. So, after all of this, we knew that we needed to get a new sump pump. We had no idea how old the uh, sump pump was or what kind of shape it was in. You know what? Let's just replace it. And we also knew our insurance company wanted us to have a battery backup. So, we decided um, after some discussion that we would go with our local basement systems franchise and get a triple safe pump, which is comprised of a primary pump, a secondary pump that kicks on when that first pump can't keep up, and a battery-powered pump. We had the system put in in our other house, and we were very, very happy with it. So, you know what, let's bite the bullet. We'll get that put in. Peace of mind. You can't put a price on that, right? Well, we also decided at the same time to have a French drain system installed around the perimeter of the basement. Now, I'm not going to get into a debate here about whether it's better to waterproof from the inside or the outside or whatever. The French drain system for us was the best option for doing any waterproofing at all at this point. And since we already had a mess, this was the time to do it before we actually refinish the basement. It's probably all overkill. I hope it's all overkill. But we really didn't want to take any chances. So the waterproofing was done in July, and that's when we had the new sump pump installed. It is now the end of March, almost a year since the initial flood, and we still have not put the basement back together. My computer is on the dining room table. My podcasting equipment is in the family room, and the printer is in the master bedroom. And most of our files are still in storage. <sighs> Last June, 
our daughter graduated from the eighth grade, and the in-laws came to stay with us for about a month so that they could go to the ceremony. To get ready for the in-laws, my, my wife's parents, to get ready for the in-laws, I got the master bedroom finished enough that we were able to move our stuff in. We moved our daughter's bedroom furniture from the bedroom into her study so we could set her bedroom up as the guest room because the room that we're going to use as the guest room on the lower level is still being used for storage. Are you following this? Anyway, the visit went okay. Everybody was comfortable, even if the house was a mess. In the summer, I painted our daughter's bedroom, which was being used as the temporary guest room. I was now getting it ready for her to move back in. So I got the room painted, and now I'm removing the bedroom door so I could replace it with a new door. Now, I should probably back up here. The bedroom doors are nothing special. They're just like Luan slab hollow core doors. And they've definitely seen their better days. Quite a bit of damage. Some had been painted. They didn't look that great. So early on, just after moving in, we decided, or I decided, to replace the bedroom doors. Replacing the doors also gives me the chance to take care of another fix that was kind of bothering me. Now, again, this is something I could have lived with, but if I could fix it, why not, right? The past owner who did all the work on the house, the one who installed the hardwood floors, he did not undercut the doorway to install the flooring underneath. So what that meant was there were some ugly gaps where the floor just butted up against the door frames. By replacing the doors, it gives me the opportunity to install some new hardwood planks in the doorways and then installing the doors so everything is proper and looks good. So anyway, I am working on my daughter's bedroom and I'm taking up the hardwood floor. I've already taken the door out and I'm starting to take up the hardwood floor that was in between the, uh, the door frame. And I managed to damage the bamboo floor in the bedroom. Just caught the edge of it and splintered it. <sighs> Great. Well, no problem. There was a partial case of bamboo flooring that was left in the basement. Easy. Just replace the damaged piece. So I pry up the piece that I just damaged, and I somehow managed to damage the piece next to it. Okay. Now I get the circular saw, and I do a plunge cut so that I can chisel out the damaged piece. I'm getting more surgical now. Plunge cuts can be very dangerous, and it's very easy to lose control of the saw if you are not careful. I think you know where this is going. Well, at least I didn't hurt myself. But the saw did get away from me, and it skipped over and damaged the piece next to the one that I was trying to remove. And that left some serious gouges in the floor, so now I'm up to three damaged pieces. A smart person would have taken a break, maybe even quit for the day. Come back to the project another time, well rested. Nobody would accuse me of being smart. But hey, I was determined.
By the time I finished, there were six boards that needed replacement. Now I could quit for the day. So when I get back to this project, replacing the six damaged boards, the first two replacement pieces go in without any trouble. But the third one was maybe a sixteenth or a thirty-second of an inch too big. It just wouldn't fit. I tried it in a couple different spots, and no, it was not going to work out. I test fit a couple other boards, and they weren't going to fit either. Same problem. They were just slightly, ever so much, a hair too wide. Not good. So... What do I do? Can I trim a board with such precision that this repair is not going to show up? And can I get the bevel so that it matches the other boards? And how noticeable was all this going to be? What if I'm slightly off in my measurement? How many boards do I have left if I mess up? The margin for error is shrinking. So I talk to my wife. Oh, sweetheart. Love of my life. <laughs> you know the bamboo floor in the bedroom that I messed up? Yeah. Well, the repair isn't going as well as I would like. So I explained the problem and what I think is going to be the best solution in this case. I can rip that floor up and put down new laminate floor like I did in our bedroom. And the kid can pick out her own flooring. And that will give her some sense of ownership. And it's, it's, it'll, it'll all be good. Right? Well, she said, you know what you're doing. <sighs> I know what I'm doing. Who does she think she's talking to? Well, let me tell you, ripping up a bamboo floor with five staples in each board and then going back and prying out all those staples from the subfloor. <laughs> yeah, not fun. Not fun hard on the back. And by now, my whole timeline is shot. You see, our niece and her husband were planning to come to visit us around the Canadian Thanksgiving. And somewhere along the line, they had also invited Grandma and Grandpa, my wife's parents, the in-laws, to come with them. This was kind of a nostalgia trip for her. I think she was trying to recreate a trip for her husband that we'd all taken together over a decade ago. But anyway, since Grandma and Grandpa had just been here for our daughter's graduation, they weren't sure if they were coming or not. And they kind of went back and forth until they finally decided that, yes, they would be coming after all. And that's fine, except for one thing. We were now down another bedroom. The room that we were using for the guest room now had a bare subfloor. And no door. And now we actually needed two bedrooms. I really needed to get that bonus room set up as a guest room. But there's a couple problems. First, that room only has three walls, so no privacy. And the second problem is, we still have all kinds of crap that's stored in that space. Now, my plan had always been to put up a partition wall and a door and make it a proper room. Now I had a deadline. So... I set aside the bedroom project upstairs for now and get to work on the lower level. Get the room cleared out, shuffle the stuff that we were keeping to other parts of the house or to storage or donate it, whatever. 
get the room cleared out and start to uh, frame the wall. Which, again, it sounds like a simple weekend project, but <laughs> yeah. Did I get the room finished in time? Well, let me put it this way. The day they arrived, they rolled up around 2 or 3 in the afternoon. I had been up the previous night hanging drywall and cleaning up the room and setting up the inflatable bed. And when they rolled up, I hadn't even had time to take a shower. Was the room finished? No, no, far from it. But at least our niece and her husband had a semi-private space. And the other room upstairs? Well, for that, I rolled out some brown paper so the in-laws wouldn't get splinters from the subfloor. It was the best I could do under the circumstances. What a mess. Now, of course, this is a case of priorities. Our house guests had been sufficiently warned that nothing was near finished, so there were no real surprises. They knew what they were walking into. And we all had a wonderful week. I mean, it's all about spending time with family. Well, Mom and Dad-in-law plan to return at Christmas. Are you keeping count? This will be the third visit in a year. Uh, usually we make the trip to visit them, but this time they decided to visit us. Well, surely I can make more progress on the house by then, right? Well, I at least got the guest room finished, except for the drop ceiling. Got the drywall primed and painted and got the trim done and the door up. So that's progress, right? The ceiling? I'm going to put in something that can be removed, you know, like a drop ceiling or something like that. I'm still working around some ideas. Because it's on the lower level, I want that to be accessible. So the ceiling is not done and therefore can't really say that the bedroom is completely finished. So if you're keeping score, <laughs> let's review. This is what things look like. We have a four-level house. Two bedrooms on the upper floor are not finished. The guest room on the lower level is not finished. And the basement, which was damaged by the flood, still needs to be refinished. And that is the DIY shuffle. But it doesn't stop there. When I need a specific tool, where can I find it? Is it in one of the boxes in the laundry room? Or is it in one of the boxes in the garage, which I have yet to organize as my workshop? Or is it in one of the boxes that I moved from the garage to the tool shed when the electrician was wiring the garage? Or is it in storage? And if it is in storage, which unit is it in? We have two storage units, you know. I waste a lot of time looking for tools. Anyway, that pretty much sums up the first year in this house. And right now, the dance continues. Now, what have we learned from all this? Well, first of all, a bridge loan is a good idea. But <laughs> a week just wasn't long enough. Um, we were way too ambitious in our plans. We really needed either a longer bridge loan or we should have planned to do a lot less. I mean, we could have just moved into this house as it was without doing any work on it at all, yet. 
I should have made my garage workshop a top priority. Not having my tools organized or having a dedicated space to work really slowed down my progress. Those weekend projects might have been weekend projects if I hadn't wasted so much time looking for my tools. And we really could have used a longer closing date in the first place to get our stuff packed in a more organized fashion. By moving day, we were just throwing stuff in boxes willy-nilly, which may have been faster on the front end, but it has slowed us down tremendously because we are still shuffling some of those boxes around a year later, and we still can't find half our stuff. Another lesson is that sometimes life just kicks you in the gonads. The flooded basement was not something we could have predicted. Well, actually, the uh, home inspector did point out there had been water damage in the basement at some point, but the damage that he pointed to was not where we actually had the water come in, and everything seemed fine at the time of the home inspection. I mean, the sump pump was working then. It didn't work when we needed it to. Stuff happens. And actually, not having the basement completely set up worked in our favor. Bookcases and photo albums and other stuff that we are planning to put down there are still in storage, high and dry. And the stuff that we did have down there, we were able to easily move out because there wasn't too much of it. It's just cluttering up the rest of the house right now. So needless to say, that situation could have been a whole lot worse. Obviously, the biggest lesson in all this is that it's always best to focus on one project at a time. Another lesson is that focusing on one project at a time is not always possible. The DIY shuffle is normal. The key, I think, is to have less stuff. Having less stuff means having less stuff to shuffle around. So get rid of some of that clutter. It will just make everything easier. I would like to thank you for joining me for the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. Show notes for this episode, as well as past episodes, can be found at thumbandhammer.com, where you can sign up for my mailing list so you never miss an update. If you want to contact me, you can do that through the website as well. I would love to hear from you. I will talk to you again in a couple weeks. Cheers. Cheers.